MG Car Club Safety Fast Podcast. I'm Chris Carnock. And I'm Adam Sloman. And together we're going to be presenting this quarterly podcast. Before we get into more details about what the podcast will consist of, Adam is going to give those of you who don't know much about who we are a brief introduction. Okay, so we are the MG Car Club. We are the original club for MG owners, founded in 1930 as part of the MG Car Company. And we're talking to you today from Abingdon-on-Thames, which is the traditional home of MG cars. Uh, We cover every MG from the very first right through to today's new models. And yeah, we've got a huge membership in the UK and worldwide. And we're always looking for new ways to engage with our members and non-members. So uh, here we are with the podcast. Excellent. Cheers, Adam. An update of what's been going on with the club will come first, and then we'll have various features involving MG Car Club Racing, maybe something more general. We'll also have a guest joining us each time, which brings me to introduce, as for this show, we've got club president John Day with us. John, thanks for joining us on the first episode of this podcast. If you wanted to give a brief background as to who you are and your involvement with MGs in general and the MG Car Club. Well, yes, hello everyone. May I first uh, say a big thank you to Adam for inviting me as your guest to your first podcast. Exciting development for an excellent way, I believe, to inform a large audience about the MG Cars and MG Car Club. I feel very privileged. I have the honour of being the president of the MG Car Club, a position I've held for four years. I come from an aeronautical background and I have a lifelong interest in cars. I'm a motorhead, I guess, by any definition. My earliest recollections were helping my grandfather remove an engine from a pre-war Austin. Probably I got in the way rather than did it. <laughs> uh, I, although I come from an aeronautical engineering background, as I said, lifelong interest in the cars. Uh, the MG Mark, as my first uh, involvement with it was when my friend bought a 1934 P-Type when I was 18 years old. Uh, he didn't have the first clue what to do about it, so we set to and rebuilt it. I wouldn't like to think of the standard we achieved, but it wasn't good. <laughs> But uh, it, was until, it wasn't until 1977 that I had my first MG, and since then I've owned 11 others. <laughs> MG was, listeners, beware, there is no known cure for the MG bug once it's bit. <laughs> I, I completed a nut and bolt restoration on at least a half dozen of these cars, MGs, but they've all moved on to new owners. Perhaps a bit of a surprise when I put all that work in, but this is because my heart belongs to a 1929 MG 1880 which I've owned for 20 years. The 1880 is one of the rarest and the most probably most interesting MGs, because that's where MG started. Mm-hmm. And from my wife and I, it's become a way of life, and we've travelled to something like 11, 12 European countries in it over the past 20 years. 
Fantastic. It was because of the 1880 I got more involved with running the club, strangely. I was elected as chairman of the Vintage Register in 2002, and I'm sure through this podcast you'll get to hear more about what registers are within the club. But this exposed me to how the club was run. I was invited to become a director of the club in 2006, and after serving for a year on the board, I was elected as chairman of the club in 2007. I have to say this was quite a surprise because I only went for a comfort break during a board meeting. And when I came back, <laughs> the plan was I was going to be the next chairman. <laughs> anyway, but it was an exciting time for the club and myself and the team, we faced many challenges, but I was supported by a fantastic team of directors and the staff here at Kimber House. And, and I stood down as chairman in 2011, expecting to retire, but then I was invited to become the president, which is a great honour. Fantastic. So, as well as your 1880, John, you've got some other MGs as well. You kind of cover the spectrum of, of MG, really, don't you? From vintage uh, all the way through to modern classic now, don't you, really? Yes, I've got the 1880, as I said, 1929. And the attraction for me is that we're sitting here at Kimber House now uh, in Cemetery Road, which is right outside the factory where the car, actually, my car was made in Oxford, but it would have come back to Abingdon. Uh, up the road outside here in 1930 for its servicing and so on. This gives me a big thrill and it's one of the first MGs that Kimber himself designed. So that's why I love having that car and I keep it. But I've also got a 1968 Midget and I've got a 2004 MGTF and I've recently acquired a 2004 MGZT. So I cover, as you say, everything from the beginning. <laughs> Nobody can accuse me of only supporting the old ones or the new ones or anything in the middle. So I think so. John, John shows that um, once you've got one, it's very easy to get more than one. And it's, uh, it's easy, to, easy to get them, but it's not quite so easy to, to, to sell them on sometimes. So yeah, no, <laughs> thank you, John. So yeah, so that brings us over to the news and what we've been doing here at Kimber House recently. I'll just run through a few bits and pieces that have have happened with us uh, recently. Probably most excitingly is the club's new archive extension. You might have heard about this if you're a member of the club. You might have seen it in in the most recent CRB bulletin or you might have no idea what what I'm talking about. (laughs) But um, but our plan is to build a two-story extension on the end of Kimber House to house a new archive. One of the things we suffer with here at Kimber House is it is an old Victorian house. It's not designed as an office, but that's part of the reason why we love it. One thing we do struggle with is space. Um, And Pete, our archivist, who I'm sure we'll be catching up with on a future podcast, is always struggling for places to put stuff. We have donations turn up constantly, almost every day something arrives through the post, something that Grandad had or... Uncle Joe worked at the factory, would you like it? And of course we're always thrilled to receive these things. But it does mean that we need a a fitting archive. Mm -hmm. So in the next couple of weeks we're going to be breaking ground on a new two-story extension. So we're really excited by by the Yeah, it should be good. By the potential to have a a properly fitting archive. We'll be able to show a lot of the archive as well. um, Exactly. Because a lot of it's kind of stored away at the minute and it's 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 great having it there, but when you have visitors coming from all over the world, you know, you want to show more of that in Kimber House. Definitely. And I mean, at the moment, Pete is sort of very much trapped, almost in a cupboard, <laughs> um, surrounded by these relics. And it's it's an amazing collection, but one, as Chris says, that we can't sort of showcase properly. Back in July, myself and Lauren Gallagher, our events manager, headed out to Shanghai for the 2015 MG Road and Track Festival, which was just a mind-blowing event. Just the scale of it, the size of it, was off the charts. 
it was held at the Tianmar circuit about 45 minutes outside of Shanghai and they built a scale replica of Tower Bridge as the backdrop for the stage. They'd spent about a month building the stage and I think over a million pounds on the stage alone. So the, the scale of the event was off the charts. Um, they had the biggest pop stars in China there, which obviously didn't mean much to me. I'm not an expert on Chinese music. Including yourself. Including myself. <laughs> um, but but the, the reaction that the MG Car Club got from, from the Chinese was just phenomenal. They are so warm to us and so excited by the heritage of MG. It's really encouraging to see them embracing what we can offer the MG world and being so respectful of the MG heritage. Because, let's be honest, to them it's just a brand. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. They don't have the connection that we have or the history that we have. But I get the sense from being with them that they really deeply care about it. And one of the scariest things for me was when they suggested that I should be on stage singing a One Direction song. (laughs) Which, thankfully, didn't happen. So there are no YouTube videos of me singing One Direction in China. Next year, maybe. Maybe, maybe next year, maybe when my album comes out, who knows. <laughs> and coming on to the last bit of news, last week we had the MGK3 Magnet that won the 1933 Mille Milia. We spoke with owner Peter Briggs about the car, gazed over it for Which quite a few hours. Looking at it, didn't <laughs> and that was, that was quite incredible to have that there. You were there for that day as well, weren't well, you, John? Was brilliant. You enjoyed it, didn't brilliant. you? It was first because it's been in Australia for so many years it's the first time I've actually mm. seen it but you lucky man actually got to ride in it I know yeah I was very lucky <laughs> to ride passenger in it twice which is fantastic and we've got some good footage of it and some good pictures so John for those for perhaps some of our listeners who aren't aware just how important that K3 is why why that car why is that car so special why is that car so important why is it such a uh, a legend in, in MG circles and in motorsport circles it was a turning point, I think, for motorsport generally. Uh, it came to the attention, looking back through so many years, can't appreciate just what a... It was monumental to, for a British car to go to an Italian race, Mila Miglia, 1,000 miles, 1,000-mile race, ran flat out, and uh, we, MG took three cars there, and, and we won it. I mean, it, against the Alfa Romeo's all-conquering cars, to win it was just astonishing and, and it set the seal on MG as being a mark that everybody had to sit up and take notice of. I mean the, M- the K3 was an extremely advanced car for its time, mm-hmm. you know 120 brake horsepower in a car weighing less than three quarters of a ton, I mean it's it's still good these days. Yeah. And so yes it was it was groundbreaking and it set the, set the tone really of the cars that followed. People. What other mark has got two letters and everybody knows when you say MG they have a mental picture mm. of what that car is yeah. in spirit. Yeah. And that was really set about by the, mm. came about because of the K3. I guess the, I guess the really and truly the K3 was a, was, a, was a supercar of its day. It, it was, was definitely a supercar of its day. It was, I guess, the sort of Bugatti Veyron of today with that kind of, what it achieved and, and what it was capable of was just mind-blowing, especially when you compare how MG, you know, the, the MG had existed for what, nine years um, and the, the, the cars they were up against, the achievements of, of the K3, it's, it's mind-blowing really and it was amazing to see that car in the metal and it be a real thing stood in front of us rather than just something in a book. 
I'll agree with that. It was, it was a, just amazing to look at. I was absolutely gobsmacked by it. Sad to see it go, to be honest. Mm, yeah, it would have been lovely if we could have kept it for a little bit longer. But um, I'm sure it. Uh, I'm sure it'll do very well when it arrives back in Australia in November. Mm. Um, Peter, the owner, is competing at uh, Bathurst with it. He is. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be interested to see how it gets on. It will. It will be. Uh, next up, we'll be looking at uh, car club racing. Uh, as you know, motorsport is a huge part of the club. Um, it always has been and continues to be so, um, with seven championships across the country and six race meetings that cover pretty much every major circuit the UK has to offer. Uh, the penultimate race meet of 2015 was at Alton Park on the first Saturday in September, and Chris headed up there to catch up with MG Trophy coordinator Pete Waters to find out what makes MGCC racing so good. MG Car Club Racing, well, when you think they run seven championships and a couple of series, I mean, they cater for every type of MG there is, right up to the modern day. So as far as anyone's concerned who's got an MG, it's the only place, basically, they can race any car. So, yeah, extremely important. And how important is it for the drivers as well? The drivers, I'll be honest with you, most of the drivers, they're just racers. They'd race anywhere. How, how good of a starting point is the MG Car Club Racing for their yeah. own racing careers? Yeah, I mean, certainly the youngsters coming through now that we're attracting, certainly in the trophy, uh, they've all done karting, and the, the ladder is there for them to start at a fairly cheap price, whether it's a Metro Championship or whether it's basic Class D in the trophy, car costing maybe three, three and a half thousand pounds. The progression is there right up to really quick BCV8s. So, I mean, that caters virtually for everything you want to do. And as we know, we've got people like Jack Goff who've raced with a trophy and then got onto the onto big stuff. So it's a great grounding. Everything is there, basically, for you to do that. And it probably really doesn't apply anywhere else. Going back to Jack Goff, how much inspiration does it, do you think it gives the drivers for them to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and watch somebody that used to race in the ZRs? Well, I think they're all certainly behind him. As you know, you've interviewed him. He's a very likeable chap. He doesn't seem to have changed at all. Um, you have to remember when he raced with us for a full year he only actually won one race out of the 12 so I think people are aware of that they could be saying if they had the money that could be me but the thing Jack was very good at was getting all the sponsorship I mean he works extremely hard at that and he probably said that to you and I think that's his forte in fact when he raced with the trophy I think he had about six or seven sponsors, and I believe most of those have stayed with him right through the Clio and are still with him today. And that's down to his dedication and hard work. In terms of the ZR Championship now, who are the kind of top-level drivers racing-wise at the moment? If you're talking about people of Jack's age who obviously... I mean, you've got people like Colin Robertson and, and that who are probably getting towards the end of their career so if you go back to people who could follow Jack's uh, pattern we've got people like Jack Roberts I mean he's he's got potential he's the right sort of age he's 18 now he's doing extremely well so that's somebody Dan Malloy another youngster um, similar age and again doing extremely well and finally the racing as a whole what what do you think's the biggest attraction for the members of the car club to get down and come and watch the racing as far as the outside members are concerned, well, obviously they're made very welcome at all the different circuits. Uh, it's well publicised. They get, I believe, they get a discount for tickets. Uh, they've got the option to do the lunchtime track parade in their cars, which, again, you know, if you're in the car club, you tend to take that for granted. But who else offers that? I, I can't think of anybody else that offers that. So really, it's all encompassing, and you've got everything there for anybody who wants to, uh, whether just 
be it as a spectator or whether they want to actually move on and do a bit of racing. It's all there. So that was Pete McWaters, the coordinator for the MG Trophy Championship. And, you know, it's really good speaking with him about the Trophy Championship, but the, but the MG racing as a whole. And like I said at the end there, it offers a lot for just a basic fan to go and watch really close racing and do different things as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, one of the things that I love about car club racing is the fact that they are real cars. Formula One's great, but the motorsport that I've always had a keenest interest in are the cars that look like the stuff I'm driving on the road. So to be able to see those guys getting such performance and such sort of great racing from pretty normal looking and very close road cars mm-hmm. to a very close spec to road cars is great. You know, the, the MG Car Club Motorsport has been a breeding ground for years for successful racers. Okay, everyone's talking about Jack Goff at the moment, but Rob Huff, who won the World Touring Cars, he raced uh, an MGB with the club. Um, Rob Gravett, who won the British Touring Car Championship, he won the BCV8 Championship. I think he won it probably more than once. He was a very, very successful racer in the 80s and then moved on to touring cars in Jim the 90s. Jim Clark started in Jim Scottish Centre yeah. racing on uh, grass track events. If you go back to the minutes of the Scottish Centre, look there, there's Jackie Stewart, Jim Clark, the young lads racing in uh, at club level. Yeah, That's how they started. It's, you know, it's in our DNA. Um, but even if you're not someone who, who can afford to race, then the fact that you can, you can rock up at one of the circuits and, and enjoy really good days racing for next to no money, I think these days is, is really important to remember. And like Pete said, the, the track parade is brilliant. You know, when else are you going to get the mm. opportunity to, to, to have a go around those tracks? It's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. There are some really, really good drivers, in, in the, particularly in the Trophy Championship. I know the Trophy Championship gets a lot of attention, um, but peppered all through the grid, whether it's you know a midget, a BCV8, or one of the Triple Ms, there are some fantastic drivers, and it's just brilliant racing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I went to Alton Park earlier on in September and you know the standard of racing is really good and it's close racing as well. It's entertaining. There isn't a moment's yeah. respite and you you've got races all throughout the afternoon, well, all throughout the day and it's it's just a just a really nice day. Yeah, I mean I went to Brands Hatch um for the for the weekend um around the bank holiday back in May. And it was just a brilliant couple of days. I mean, probably my favourite races that I saw at Brands were the Triple M's and the Trophy because mm. they're they're complete polar opposites, yeah. but they're tied together by <clears throat> excuse me, they're tied together by MG and by the club. And to see those cars that are worth you know Triple M cars are worth good money these days, and to see those guys still out there having fun with them and and throwing them round bends and, and uphill and down dale at Browns was just fantastic. It's it's amazing. And the sound is just phenomenal. The V8 sound is quite incredible yeah. when it's roaring up the straight at Alton. I remember that for a long time. But you got quite close to the track. I did, yeah, very close. Yeah, yeah, almost too close. <laughs> for me, the racing is what the club is about. Although it's probably only something like an eighth of the membership involved in it, mm. I, I've never raced, never likely to now at my age, but uh, I love belonging to a club that is so influential in the club racing world. MG's always been influential. Uh, if you go back to the very beginnings, they, they don't do it so much now, but there was a thing called trials, where it was get up a hill 
um, as high as you can in muddy, gravelly, rocky conditions in a light car with plenty of grunt. And this used to attract the sort of numbers that you would see at a, at a really big race meeting. Mm -hmm. Tens of thousands of people used to go to watch to see so-and-so in his latest MG get to the top of the hill. That, you look at endurance racing, there was some of that going on, but then also world record breaking. So MG have always had this foot firmly in the door of, of motorsport. And if you go back to 1930s, early 1930s, and went into a showroom and asked to buy a sports car, the salesman probably would look at you blankly because MG invented the word. MG is so influential in this thing and, and they are still today, as you say. Club racing is fantastic. Go along and watch it. Definitely. We'll agree with you there, John. Something else that the club does, for those that aren't aware, is MG's on track, which is a fantastic way of getting your MG that you, you drive on a day-to-day -day basis or it might come out for a Sunday spin and you can take that to a track around the country and run it round as fast as you like for as long as you like. And I caught up with Chairman Dave Pearce and committee member Nigel Silman during the meeting that they had at Castlecombe a few weeks ago to find out a bit more about what MG's on track is all about. MG's on track is giving MG owners a chance to take their cars out onto a race track, drive it in the way that MG is always meant to be driven without worrying about safety, speed cameras and all the other things that make it possible to do that in everyday driving. We hire a circuit, um, we sell places, we organise the days so that we put the experienced drivers out in one group, first timers and novices in another group, so they're split up, there's no intermixing of high speed and low speed cars and it gives everybody the best opportunity to play with their toys. <laughs> And how important do you think it is for the club to be able to have something like this, to offer it to its members? Um, I think it's very important. I think, as Dave quite rightly says, uh, MGs were built to be driven like this. And I think uh, to offer members the opportunity to take their cars out onto a track, explore the limits of, of speed, grip and braking that these cars actually have uh, is a fantastic opportunity. And the fact that, of course, everyone is going out and driving in the same direction means that you haven't got that uh, uh, problem you've got on the everyday roads, you've got no speed cameras and uh, people are mixed according to their ability. So you're out with light minded like powered cars uh, so it's a good safe environment and one of the things that we really enforce upon our members is the etiquette uh, that we expect at our track days so you only overtake on the straights you only overtake by consent when someone allows you to go past them and that I think is what makes our track days so good compared with perhaps uh, commercial track day organisers. I think one of the main obstacles and you'll probably agree with me for people wanting to do a track day is that a lot of people will think it's just about racing, getting the fastest car out and acting a bit of a fool at times. I mean, it's, it's not like that at all, is it? No, not at all. I mean, I think track day's got that reputation through more commercial track days where people are just going out for themselves and um, you know, there's no consideration for the other track users. We're a club, first of all, so we all get on together. It's a social thing. When we're out on track, it's exactly the same. We don't want people to have accidents, damaged cars. Um, we're polite to each other. If a guy behind's got a faster car, you pull over and let him pass. No skin off my notes to do that. I'll just carry on driving like I was. So people drive at their own pace, what they feel comfortable at. Beginners drive slowly, um, even in faster cars. And as they gain experience, they can drive quicker. 
we have instructors at all of our track days and we encourage certainly first timers but I still take instruction and I've been doing it for 10 years so you never stop learning. And what sort of advice would you give to beginners because there might be some people that want to do a track day but are a bit apprehensive about the speed and how do you kind of help them settle into a track day like this? I think one of the first things we do is when um, someone who joins us for their first session ever on a track, we um, appoint a mentor, which is one of our either committee members or one of our experienced members, uh, to help them through uh, the process once they arrive at the, the circuit in the morning. So that helps them through the sign-on process, helps them through just checking their car over. So we, we advise them to check, obviously, the fluids, uh, check the tyre pressures, make sure that the wheel nuts are, are talked up correctly everything that's movable within the cockpit is removed so it doesn't become a projectile uh, and then um, impress upon them that actually when they go out on the track they drive at their own pace uh, within their limit of comfort so no one is forcing them to go faster you drive at your pace uh, and to gradually increase during the day as they become more confident uh, in the, the abilities of their car and also their own abilities uh, and we start off the day always with sighting laps behind uh, one of the course cars so they're driven at a much slower speed so that the first timers get to understand where the braking points are where the turning points are and what the actual circuit looks like in terms of the corners uh, they can then uh, increase on that during the day as they get more confident they can start to speed up if they feel happy to do so but no one is pressurizing anyone to go faster uh, you just pull over let the faster cars go past uh, if need be and uh, you drive at your own pace in your comfort zone good stuff and would you say that beginners after their first time tend to come back and race even more yeah yeah, we get a lot of people who get hooked. We do um, what we call a beginner's day each year at um, Northweald Airfield, which is basically just a big area of open tarmac where we set up cones. One car goes at a time, so you know there's no question about other cars being in the way. There's no arm coal barriers or anything to hit. So people, it's almost like a toe-in-the-water thing, see what you feel like, um, see if you enjoy the handling of the car at speed. Um, then people move from that onto a full track day and they get hooked I mean there's a guy that started this April at North Weald he's done three track days with us because he likes it <laughs> so yeah there's, it's very much uh, once people get to do it get to enjoy it they'll come back for more excellent and like the racing you cater for all MGs don't you here at MGs on track yeah we've had a 1965 MG midget standard midget that's about 50 horsepower we had um, an 80 something year old lady in an MGA come to one of our days and well I've got an MGSV which is for 60 horsepower Mustang V8 engine <laughs> we've got various modified MGB V8s that uh, come out regularly so it's the whole spectrum including the modern MGs like the MG3s and MG6s and finally how would you kind of sum up MGs on track in, in a few short sentences I think fun sociable club um, having fun with MGs the way they were built and meant to be driven uh, amongst like minded people and uh, come and join us and find out what it's all about Right, so that was MGs on track, and you know it was, it was great talking with the two chaps there. I learned so much from the day, from the etiquette that they adhered to, to just the different types of cars and people that were there. They were such a friendly bunch, and it was actually such a nice day, even though the weather was terrible. 
I think you say they're a friendly bunch. I think that's something you find with every facet of the club. Everyone is just so friendly and so welcoming. And MG's on track is a brilliant way to have as much fun as possible with your MG. It's getting harder and harder and harder to, to get anything out of a car on the road these days because there's so many other cars on the road, there's speed cameras, there's speed bumps. You know, if you wanna if you wanna enjoy your car and, and you know clip along at a decent pace, there's no better way to do it than with MGs on track. And if you're a member of the car club, you get a discount on your MGs on track entry fee. So I think you've only got to do sort of two or three track days with MGs on track and you've paid for your, your mm. car club membership fee. So it's a no-brainer, really. And mm. they go, they're really lucky. I mean, uh, last month they got invited up to Hethel, to the Lotus Test Track. You can't get on that Lotus Test Track. There is no way to get on there mm. unless you're a Lotus Test Driver. Yet, MG's on track, ran a track day there. You know, it's it's incredible. It's a fantastic part of the club that's not talked enough about, in my opinion. It's not. 100% safety on record as well. Yes. And doesn't that speak volumes? I, I think it's wonderful that there's a, an outlet for... Uh, anybody with an MG which is a sports car it's a car that's meant to be as our speakers mentioned that they're meant to be driven hard and they're designed for that they respond to that but the problem is it's at odds with the road modern road usage so isn't it wonderful that there's a safe properly run outlet for anybody who wants to try their car on a racetrack I think it's wonderful long long way they continue Right chaps, now it's time to test your knowledge of MGs in a section of the podcast I'm entitling Adam versus Guest, um, which I'm very much looking forward to because you're both two chaps, both very knowledgeable about the MG mark and it will be interesting to see who comes out on top in this one. Okay, so well, the, before we start yeah. I have to say I think it's very unfair me being put up against the president <laughs> of the car club. <laughs> And I'm also extremely suspicious because John's been with us um, for a good few hours today. I had to leave for a meeting, leaving uh, Chris and John here alone <laughs> to potentially collude um, on the, the question. So if I lose, um, that's going to be my, my, uh, my that's argument. That's your excuse. That's my excuse. And if you win? I'm awesome. <laughs> right, so... Both, both of you will each be asked four questions, two fairly modern questions and two fairly older questions to keep it quite balanced because okay. I've got a feeling that John knows more about the older stuff and you, Adam, you know more a bit more about the newer stuff. So okay. that's to keep it fairly balanced. So we've got eight questions, yeah. four each. Four okay. each. Okay. So you've got 15 seconds to answer my question. Right. If you A, go over that time... B, answer incorrectly, or C, just don't know. It goes to the other person, and if the other person knows the answer, they can grab a point yeah, from one of your points. Clever. So, we shall begin. <laughs> We've got your first question here, Adam. Are you ready? Yeah. What was the full name of the team that raced the MG ZS in a 2001 British touring cars, and the name of the chap that still runs it now? West Surrey Racing? Correct. And the chap that runs it? Dick Bennett? Correct. Boom. One point to other. <laughs> Impressive. Right, John, your first question. For what event was old number one that used by Cecil Kimber in 1925? The Lands End Trial. Correct. Fantastic. One all. Adam, not including old number one, how many pre-war MG models were there? Oh. <laughs> Five seconds. Five. 
Incorrect. John, do you know the answer? Including all the all the letters, because it's one of the models. That, a, that, apart from old number one, all of the pre-war models. There's every single one. It's, it's a lot more than five. It's more like twenty. Correct. Twenty <laughs> is bang on. Twenty. So that's why you don't uh, mess with the president. <laughs> true. Two on to John. That's a lot of luck. <laughs> right. There we go. So, John, I'm coming back to you now. How many MG Metro 6R4s were made? I'll allow your answer to be within 10 either side. There was a homologation issue here. I, I think it was 200. I'll give you that. It was 205. I knew that as well. 3 1 to John. Adam, you've <laughs> got to come back from this now. So, Adam, your next question. How long was the MG Maestro Turbo in millimetres? I'll allow 100 either side for it to be correct. Um, 3,500. No. John, do you know? Would it's you have any idea? It's a bit of a guess, but 4,100. I can give you that. It's within 50. It was 4,050 millimetres. There's cheating afoot. 4-1. <laughs> right, so I'm coming back to John. How many MG TD Mark IIs did they produce for the home market in 1951? 250? Incorrect. Adam? 463. The correct answer, Charles, was zero. They didn't actually produce any for the home market. Well played. Well played, So, Adam, I'm coming back to you. What is the registration of the club's YB saloon sitting downstairs near John Thornley Suite? MDF 630. Correct. <laughs> Fall 2. Unfortunately, there won't be a comeback, but I will ask the last question for you, John, to see if you can get it correct. On the 23rd of August 1957, Sir Sterling Moss broke the land speed record in the MG EX 181, but what speed did he do? Sterling Moss didn't quite make the two. They were aimed for two. I think it was about something like 249 miles an hour. 245 it was so that's pretty close yeah I knew they they went back later and um, the other guy the world record breaker the land speed record breaker man himself Mm. broke that Phil Hill yeah 260 I think he got up to 265 Ah. or something like that yeah with the blown MGA engine so John's John is victorious guest one I have to say (laughs) Adam's defence if you'd asked me the first question about the the ZS team and the registration I wouldn't have got them True. <laughs> True. <laughs> I've, been, I've been given a good thrashing. Right, thanks for doing that quiz, chaps, and congratulations, John. Thank you very much. We're now going to have a chat about what's going on in the club within the next kind of couple of months, and I think one of the topics you chaps are going to be just having a brief discussion about is the NEC in November. Yes, um, well, the, the classic motor show at the NEC should check the dates before we start talking. 13th, 14th, and 15th. So the 13th, 14th, 15th. Luckily, the president knows what's going on. So the Classic Motor Show at the NEC in Birmingham is probably the biggest, well, it is the biggest classic car show in the UK, and it's a brilliant opportunity for us as the car club to to showcase what we do. This year's theme is, I believe, Isn't She a Beaut? So it's all about ladies, female racing drivers, cars as, you know, we, we often refer to cars as she. So, yeah, so it's an exciting theme, and it's something we can really engage with, and 
The NEC is fantastic, and I know John, you're a big fan of of the of the show in general. Yeah, I mean, I've been around the classic car scene ever since it started, uh, and seen the rise of field shows in a field, followed by you know the more indoor large scale things like the NEC, and then the NEC for a little while went down and became almost quite a poor relation of the whole classic car scene. But in the last ten years, it's res- it's just surged forward, and every year I'm amazed just how big it's it's become, even from the year before. Definitely. But my main reason for liking it is as a, representing the MG Car Club. It's a superb opportunity to meet first of all the members, because obviously they want to come and see their friends on the stand but perhaps more importantly is to meet new people that are new to the classic car perhaps they've just retired or perhaps they've got a little bit of money or for some reason or other they want to buy their first classic car and they come along specifically to talk to the the people on the stands Mm. and this is where the club really shows itself in a very good light because we have a well uh, practiced uh, team that are used to doing it we take uh, visitors onto the stand take them right through the whole business of buying a car and if they're interested in an MG that's of course where we can play an active part but even if they're not it's nice just to talk to them I really love the classic car show I think it's it's one of the biggest events of the year for me yeah it's brilliant and the, the thing I love about about the NEC is there's a real party atmosphere it yeah. feels special I've been to other shows you know other big indoor shows and they just lack that feel. There's something in the air at the NEC. I don't know if it's because it's the end of the year and everyone's it's getting towards Christmas and everyone's starting to feel a little bit festive and a little bit jolly. But it's it's a brilliant show. And I know Chris, before you joined us, you've been as a visitor, mm. but this will be your first time working, working there. in the show. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're in for a real treat because we've got. I won't tell you what cars we've got because you'll have to come and see us. But we've got some great cars coming. We've got some special celebrations. Um, that we'll be doing obviously the club's 85 this year so we've got some some good things planned around that so yeah come and see us and we can't wait we'd just love to see you definitely well that's all we've got time for guys thank you very much once again John for joining us today it's been a pleasure I've really enjoyed it wonderful thank you John tune in for the next episode of the Safety Fast Podcast see you soon see you soon cheers cheers cheers